Welcome to the Living Life Podcast, where we encourage and motivate others to live out their dreams and purpose. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Living Life Podcast. Uh, we have two guests on, two guests with us this week, Matt Johnson and Michael Johnson, David's brothers. Um, here, we're going to speak with them a little bit, ask them a few questions. Paul, if you want to start us off. So the topic is going to be a little bit about business and kind of the struggles and the responsibilities and, and what it takes to run and to start a business. Um, so, Michael, Matt, how's y'all's day going so far? Fantastic. Awesome. That's what we like to hear. By the way, Seth, give it up just for Seth. You did a great job doing the intro. <laughs> you really did. No, it was the first time. You did great. You're good. You're good. Um, all right. So I guess the first question is what made y'all start a business? Matt, why don't you go first? Or I so, guess for you, what made you purchase a business? Yeah. So um, I've been in business for, this is this will be the 14th year, um, working working for myself. Started in 06. Um, so I think, first of all, for me, starting a business meant doing something I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember really, you know, thinking, man, I just, I don't like people telling me what to do. I want to be my own boss. That was, I'm sure that was part of it. But I just, I really enjoyed my craft and felt like I could, I could make money at it, make a business. So uh, that's kind of how I started, um, just wanting to do something I enjoy. So it wasn't because you didn't, didn't want a boss, it was because you actually enjoyed doing it. I think so, yeah. Huh, I didn't know that. And 2006 is when you started working for that company, or 2006 is when you purchased it? No. So my start, I went out on my own a year after we got married. And um, a year after that, was approached by a business owner about purchasing his business. So I had had been doing my own thing for a little while and was actually a subcontractor for him. And Mm -hmm. then he approached me and said, hey, I want to phase out, and I think you'd be a good guy to take the reins. And honestly, that was probably the hardest decision I have ever made, even harder than who am I going to marry, um, <laughs> was, you know, should I, should I buy this business? There's a lot of money involved, a lot of time and commitment and, you know, or should I keep going on my own basically and, you know, build it from the ground up anyway. So talked to a lot of people, um, Sought counsel, prayed a lot. My wife and I talked a lot. Anyway, we made the decision to to, to buy the business. Were you nervous or scared? I'm sure at at oh. any point during the process. Heck yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, very much. Um, I think for me, the, the the nervousness was, you know, the 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 dollars that were involved <laughs> in this and. I mean, the business was doing well. Um, he had grown it to a nice size, but yeah, there was. Yeah, it's that. It's that. A lot the, of, the stuff you don't know what what could happen. The yeah. unknown, I guess. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. So, then what was the bit? Where was the biggest nervous part? Was it before the transaction or after the transaction? Where you look back and go, "What the heck did I just do?" Like buyer's <laughs> remorse. Did any of that set in? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes there's a lot of excitement leading up to a transaction. But then afterwards, you're like, what did I just do? So where was the nervousness? (laughs) Both. Um, 
Yeah, I think it was more nervous up front, just making the decision. What do I do? Um, after after doing it, I felt I felt really good. I mean, we you know obviously there was a huge learning curve. Uh, I think the I think when it when I realized you know oh my word what have I done is when 2008 hit mm. and nine and ten and we ended up doing about half of half of the revenue we were we were doing. Mm-hmm. So that's when the you know I guess the fear, the temptation to fear set in. But um, nice anyway, that we can talk about that more later. Nice to get a down market out of the way sooner, though. If you're going to start, well, a business, that's true. Right, start in a down market, mm-hmm. and then you have a lot of upside after that. Yeah, yeah. But Good way to look at it. It does. <laughs> that sucked to have the slowdown, though. Michael, what about you? You've started quite a few businesses along the a couple of years ago. I guess now too. Yeah, um, for me, it was probably always just curiosity more than anything. Most recently, the, the flipping game in real estate. But you what you see stuff on HGTV, and you hear from you know friends of friends who flipped properties or whatever, and that thought crosses your head like, well, why can't I do that? And so mm-hmm. the biggest reason was just flat out curiosity to see what would happen, and. Luckily, you know, it's worked out so far, net-net. It's been great ever since. But honestly, that was the biggest reason, just flat-out curiosity. Yeah. And your company is called Southern Squared Homes. And so if you're buying, selling, or want to invest in real estate, 770-846-9163, shameless plug. Hit me up. Matt, why, It'll be great. Why don't you go ahead and throw yours out there? Uh, so my company is Artisans of Atlanta. It's not artisans or anything like that. It's artisans. We get that all the time. That's um, the French way of pronouncing it. Artesian. I guess. I guess you could say that. Yeah. Yeah. Make a class. It's sculptors. What is an sculptors of Atlanta. Every every job, every finished job has a sculpture of Matt. <laughs> the head artesian. Yeah. So, what is unique about y'all's business? What sets y'all apart from the others? Um. Well, this may seem like a small thing, but one of the first things that comes to mind is we have a lot of clients that have said over the years and say now that, wow, those guys are so clean. My job is so clean. Um, and, you know, when you come into someone's home and you're tearing it apart and, you know, you're making sausage in their home, it, it's a mess. And the fact that me and my guys um, take time every day, every day at the end of each day to clean up. Um, I think that's, that's one small way that sets us apart. I mean, there's hundreds of others, but that's just one. That speaks a lot. I mean, I'd rather be clean than messy too. And I think it kind of plays into safety as well. Well, I've read y'all's reviews online and I was actually quite impressed. Five stars. You sound surprised. Wow. I mean, yeah. I mean like, way to boost them up there. To what is average. Yeah, relative, like, the where everyone else is yeah. out there, it's like four and a half, four stars. You're consistently five, and the reviews are pretty positive. And even by who 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 bashes it is more of like nitpick stuff where it's like, it's, you can't help it. You're always going to have that one that yeah. nothing's going to please them, but of yeah. course. Yeah, we all know, we all know those, those people. <laughs> Look at me. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, what about you? What's what's unique about um, Southern Squared? I think it's the transparency and the 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 way that relationships are handled in the business. Because there's 
so I, I I flip homes both like ripping out you know gutting them completely and 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 upgrading them, but I also do what what you call flipping contracts, which is essentially wholesaling. Um, and that means you you lock a property under contract and then you assign it to somebody or you do a double close. Um, and so I work with you know other wholesalers and then some some uh, just direct sellers and then some hedge funds, but. A lot of people in that business aren't necessarily as transparent as you would have liked them to be. Because um, a common thing that you come across, at least when it comes to flipping contracts, is what, what you call daisy chaining, where I get a property under contract with a seller, blast that out to my investors or just even a couple of investors, and then someone picks it up, marks it up five, 10 grand, and sends it to their buyer list, you know, trying to sell it as if it, 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 as if it was them who had it under contract. So transparency is a big thing. Just like, hey, here's all the cards on the table. We both know how this dance generally works. Here are the numbers. Here are the calculations. We're not you know, necessarily here to nitpick on numbers, but we both want to do a deal. So let's just come to the conclusion, like these are the numbers that work best for everybody. And let's make a deal happen. But not a lot of people are like that. They try to cover up something and make a nickel and a dime here and there. And it just frustrates the heck out of everybody else. And it gives them a, a bad reputation going on. They get a short-term deal done, but they sacrifice their long-term relationship and deals going forward. So I'd say just the transparency and the way that uh, relationships are handled uh, at Southern Square is generally better um, maybe than the average. Have you ever had to turn down a client or a sale because of a sketchy situation? Yeah, there's tons situation. of people out there. It's ridiculous because some of the people that, you know, they're just no transparency whatsoever. And right up to the point of close... Do they tell you, this is my deal, I'm buying it, when in reality, right up to the very end, they slip in their buyer, and then the, it's it's not cash, it's hard money, and then it, that delays a little bit. There's an appraisal, and you have, some properties have tenants, so that, you know, that's never fun to have to go back and uh, and open the door, because some of the tenants just want to be left alone. But yeah, there's tons of people, I, like, there's, I've got a, a short list of people I would never do business with ever, and then a list of people that are my always go-to's always go to first um, it's because they're transparent as well and so I know that they'll shoot straight with me even if it means losing a couple of grand on a deal or even 10 20 grand on a deal sometimes it makes more sense just to go with a deal you know will actually get done it's a safe deal. and it will lead to other deals um, because you shouldn't just look at your revenue for a single deal or a month or a year you should look at your revenue over the next 10, 15, 20 years and go, how does this one deal um, impact the revenue for all the other deals that I could do? Interesting. Am I basing it off like relationships? Building yeah. a stronger relationship with that one client? Yeah, because somebody, somebody said one time, they were like, how do you deal with your taxes? And I, I explained it to them. They're like, well, maybe instead of looking at how to save as, as much on taxes for one given year, you need to look at your 20-year strategy and go how how much how many how much taxes over a 20-year period do you do you spend do you pay not spend um, and how do we reduce that over a 20-year period as opposed to just one single event because life is a you know is a bunch of little events tacked onto each other and then you eventually call it life but um, yeah that's how I would look at it anyway so transparency in relationships. Okay. Simple follow-ups. Like nobody follows up on the, on email these days, it seems. So like, <laughs> yeah, what is it? You have to follow up on an email or a phone call and just be transparent with people. Yeah, so I, th- I think communication is a big 
part. What is it? It's like five follow-ups before you should, is it six or seven? Okay. Have you ever had to turn down a client, Matt? So, um, I mean, as a general contractor, you know, I guess really any, almost any business owner, you're always just thrilled when the phone rings, Mm -hmm. right? Wow. I got an email or I got a text or a call that could be new business. And in my business, I mean, almost a lot of it, not, not a hundred percent, but close to it is, is about relationships. And so, um, I've dealt with hundreds of people, some good, some great, some maybe not so good. Um, but I don't think I've ever outright just said, sorry, I am not going to work with you. Hmm. Now, um, I have had some clients that maybe they wanted us to do phase two. And, you know, there there are different ways to turn down a client, right? Because, again, most of my business is about relationships. Um, You can always just say, hey, I'm sorry, you know, we're not going to work with you. Or um, you can approach it as, hey, you know, we're not, our goals and your goals are probably not the best fit. Um, you know, in a business where you're, you're, you're pricing different things all day long and there's different, you know, requirements for time and labor and that sort of thing. Um, you know, you can, you can, you can adjust a price accordingly. And sometimes that can take care of, of maybe some clients that may not be a good fit. But, um, I have had clients that, you know, for different reasons, we we end up, you know, in a situation where he's not happy about something and it was in our contract or vice versa. And we had one client that, you know, he he's he's threatening to have his lawyers get involved. Mm-hmm. And so my contract is very clear and he signed it. And I said, you know, I'm sorry, sir, you owe us this money. Here's the contract. I'll be glad to get my lawyer to to call you or talk to your lawyer or whatever. Anyway, long story short, we kind of went round and about. He ended up paying the money and that client ended up referring me to several <laughs> jobs. And I, I want to say he, he even had us back. Wow. So it's crazy. It's, you know, business <laughs> yeah. is that, that way. Sometimes you would think that, oh, this is awful. I need to get out from under this. I'm never going to, you know, this is never going to go well. And we can either cut our losses or whatever. But you'd be surprised if, and I, I think this is another thing that sets us apart is to me, there's, there's a lot of value in relationships. Mm -hmm. And if you approach it that way, and if you have a bad situation or a bad apple, if you still are professional and above board about, about even a situation like that, I mean, it can turn around and be something you never dreamed would happen. So, and sometimes it's hard to know it in the moment, but there are some people who respect the dance Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean the negotiation. Um, and they will notice if you respond in a way that they least expect, it sets you up for more success when they're mad like that. Because they're, if they're mad and they tell you and you respond, like kill them with kindness almost, or you respond in a way that's like, well, I wasn't expecting that. Um then that set, I think that makes them aware that, okay, I respect this a little bit more mm-hmm. than I would if someone said, screw you, you pay us anyway. 
Other than the fact that they can't really make you mad, even though they're probably trying to, but they don't get a reaction out of you. Yeah. So it, it, if you it's feed them respect. what they want and what they're expecting, yeah. sometimes that will just add fuel to the negative fire. So yeah, kill them yeah. with kindness. It's true. Well, going back to relationships, y'all, y'all know who Ryan Serhan is, right? The million dollar listing guy. Mm-hmm. In New York City, um, Bravo! Yeah, yeah. yeah. Guy. So he's he's like now one of the gray. yeah. It's a, it's a lot of gray now. But he's like one of the top five real estate agents in the world. He has his own team and his own company. And yeah, one of the things he's all about relationships. And he says some of the best deals he's he's had is from some some person he met at a party five years ago, and he never thought he'd ever see that person again. He's like, oh, this is a waste of time, and I'm going to go ahead and get my information anyways. But one of the requirements for working for him is you have to meet two new people every day. And at the end of the week, you have to give him the list of those people that you met, what they do, what they like, what their hobbies are. And mm-hmm. if you can't give him that list by the end of the week, you can't work for him. And it's really interesting because it's about the relationships. You never know. Every, every person you meet is a potential client, whether that's in real estate or it's in remodeling. Stay thirsty, my friends. Stay hungry. Back to like forcing yourself to go, mm-hmm. where's the next deal? So if you could tell a potential client, Matt or Michael, something that would make their lives easier and your life easier being from a remodeling job or flipping a house, what is something you wish you could tell people? You you said what what we would tell a potential client or someone yeah, starting? What's, what's something you've always wanted to say to a client that you can't really say, but it would kind of make their lives easier and your lives easier? So like looking at it from a remodeling standpoint, if you could say one thing, what would it be? Does that make sense? Wow. Does that make sense you want to say it on the air? No, I don't mean not like <laughs> bad. Be, it doesn't bad. have to be bad, but like is, I'm sure there's weird. something out there where if they do this or if you do this or if y'all looked at it, if they could see it from your point of view, it would make everybody's life a whole lot easier in terms of understanding the process. So I haven't done this yet, but I want to. I think it would be neat to sit down and have a list of expectations, right? So pre-construction, nothing's ever happened yet. Sit down with a client. And you say, okay, here's, here's what you can expect from us, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, by then, we should have gone through all that already. But here's a list, right? We're going to show up on time. We're going to clean your house. We're going to finish your job. You know, we're going to bill you at such and such, and we're going to make you happy or whatever. But then I'd like to put together an expectation list of them. And because, you know, there's, <clears throat> there's HGTV, and everyone has a— an image of remodeling and construction that I think more than ever is skewed mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> and um, I think the reality of it is, you know, remodeling is stressful. Construction is a mess. It's noisy. Um, in a lot of our cases, we, we kind of need access like all over the house. Um. You know, you need to get your stuff out of the way. There will be a little bit of dust. You know, one of our commitments is no <laughs> dust. We, uh, not dustless, but almost dustless. Dust-free company. Um, there's going to be a little bit of dust. There's going to be issues that that pop up. They're just it's just the nature of a home, and you're opening up walls and digging into foundations and all that stuff. You know. So yeah, I, I think I'd love to put together a, an expectation from them. Here's what we expect from you. And even like, I mean, it could be as simple or as kind of stupid as like, don't freak out. Um, you know, if you come home from work and you see something that you want to freak out, 
wait, unless your house is on fire or <laughs> it's flooding, you know, wait till tomorrow, send us an email, send us a message. We'll take care of it. Right. Um, so I, you know, I think, I think that's what I would do. Well, that's like what Seth and I do for Home Depot. Whenever we go into a new shop and we're doing a setup, Seth will send down an email, what, three weeks in advance? Yeah. Well, three weeks, two weeks, and then a day before we come out there. They send down an email saying, here's what's going to be done. Here's what our expectations are of you. Here's your responsibilities. Here's what needs to be done before, prior to to we arrive to do our job. Well, yeah, because that can put a uh, delay on our job. Mm -hmm. So it puts a delay on the whole process. Um, and delays them getting back into their shop, which really goes back to how you are. I mean, kind of if you need them to make a decision and yep. they keep going back and forth. Well, I don't know if I want this or if I want that. They're just delaying the whole process of yeah. it being done in general. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially so, if, if they have to clean out a room that they want or the kitchen, you know, if they mm-hmm. want to demo the kitchen or remodel it, they got to clean out everything that's in the cabinets. That should be right. done way before the Well, day I'm of- just talking about like if. You know, they're tiling the kitchen. They haven't picked out what tile they want yet. And so they're trying to get the tile done, and they still haven't picked it out yet. I mean, Matt's just kind of stuck there. Okay, well, waiting on you now. The ball's in your court. Mm -hmm. We should already have this figured out at this point. So, But it's huge. Expectation management. So you should have, like you said, a playbook um, where it outlines those things. Who's the main point of contact? Who's actually going to sign the checks? Um, what's the goal, what's the objective, and here's who does what and when. And you can't, unfortunately, just re- just set that up uh, once. You have to, you have to uh, remind people over and over again because a lot about learning in life is simply relearning what you already l- learned at some point but just forgot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing how often that happens, especially when it's a complicated product. Uh, or it's a long, there's a long time uh, to complete the project, for example. Everybody is, you know, uh, they have their day-to-day life, and that's kind of what they often think about. And they forget about some of the things. So they walk into their home, and then they might have an issue or whatever. But, yeah, have that playbook um, where you define all of that, and you go, here's our expectations for you as a customer. Here's, um you know, show me what your expectations are for us as a as a um, real estate company or a, a remodeler, and you can both point back to it. Hmm. Hugely important. Have you ever asked, I guess, a client customer, what their expectations of your company is? I don't know if you ever asked anybody that or not, but mm, no, not in not in that way. Explicitly. No, but is that you mean like ask them what their goal and objective is? Yes, but then tell them, uh, you know, here's 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 who to, who needs to sign when. Like, there's a time limit on the on the, the offers, for example. Um, but yeah, yeah, basically just tell them like, hey, here's what needs here's what you need to do in order to have success with this deal or you know using this product. You mean like asking them what you could do differently? From so like what? if you were a client and I said hey what could I do differently to make your life easier as the remodeler or the real estate well I guess you could do it I guess to a past client or to a new client you know just what are you expecting out of us um, I, I guess it's kind of hard to narrow it down but but basically if you were on the hunt for a house I would say what do you expect me to do like send you a new house yeah exactly send yeah. you off market deals the, yeah send and then you... I would say that or yeah. 
Because sometimes, you know, some people, they'll talk to you that one time, then you won't hear from them for a couple of weeks. Um, I dealt with a realtor before that did that. Um, that sucks. And it's like, okay, so my expectations mm-hmm. were you're going to be, you know, throwing yeah. me houses left and right, and they didn't do that. Mm. So. Well, there you go. Then, yeah, a playbook would have been nice because you can go, I expect you to send me mm-hmm. houses. Whether they're ones that you would actually buy or not, it, that's that's that doesn't matter. But at least you have them to view and you can then start to do this thing where you go, here's the best one like that I love the most. And then here's another house that I just got two hours ago. This one sucks compared to the best one they like the most. So, no, we're not going to go with that one. You can start to compare them against each other. So, yeah, it's good to have yeah. the playbook. Otherwise, everybody's left to make assumptions. And mm-hmm. when you start making assumptions, mm-hmm. you start to make them in a very biased way where, it, you know, like you have assumptions and then the business has assumptions. And they're usually very, very different uh, from each other. They're very biased. And then when that happens, it's just, you know, it's no fun for anybody. So okay. have a playbook. Start a playbook. You can even have them sign it or at least initial it. We should write yeah. the book. I'm going to write that down. Yeah. <laughs> start a playbook for business. Step one, start the business. <laughs> Let's have a plan. You have a planning meeting. No, no, forget plan. the plan. Just wing it. Just go with it. So the next one that I would want to ask, if we're not unless we want to continue talking about this one. No? Okay. Moving on to the next one. <laughs> I got no feedback from that one. Moving on to the next one. How do you guys balance the work life? And your personal lives. So, Michael, I know you. You know, are those you're separate? Married? <laughs> I would say, aren't those separate? Wait, <laughs> no. Sorry, I wouldn't say work life is. I'm oh, yes, I'm yes, 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 yes. This is Matt. You have a family of what, six, five. Fine. Yes, what? four kids. Yeah, two well, adults. Well, that's what I mean. I'm adding uh, the two adults. Six. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> now that we got that figured out, how many right. is in your family? Go ahead. There's six <laughs> people in my household. Yeah. No pets yet. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's a huge thing, especially these days. Um, you know, historically work was, work was huge. I mean, it was a priority, right? Work came first, sort of, um, even on weekends. Um, but as you know, we've gotten smarter and realized that, wow, work is killing us out here and stress and all this other stuff, you know, there's, there's more of a realization that, wow, we need balance. We need time with family. We need time, you know, to, I don't know, uh, fill our own cups and time outside of work for ministry or for recreation or, you know, whatever. So that is definitely a struggle. Um, One thing that I've always done is we do not work on Saturday or the weekends. Now, you know, in the construction world, that's, I mean, it's a six, it's a six day work week. Uh, all the time, almost everywhere. And we don't do that. Um, you know, so I save that time to work on my own house or spend time with the kids or family or do whatever. Um, I think the challenge for me is, you know, as a business owner, I'm, I'm, I wear a lot of hats. Um, and that's a whole nother conversation we can have about delegating and, you know, what that, how that is a real key to success. But, I wear a lot of hats and if someone else takes off a hat for whatever reason, I have to put it on and, you know, keep going. So 
the challenge for me sometimes is just mentally kind of unplugging. So, you know, work stops at on Friday. I'm kind of still in that work mode until, you know, maybe uh noon Saturday time morning. on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> and then I finally relax and I'm I'm a I'm a really good guy to be around. <laughs> um but that is certainly a challenge. So I think for me, it's it's no not working on the weekends. Now sometimes I'll you know sit in front of the computer and do a few things. Um, I think the bigger challenge for me though is you know the laptop is so accessible, mm-hmm. yep. and you know a lot of times for me the la- I, I have to do office work at night, evening. Mm-hmm. So I get home, no work. We you know dinner, spend time with the kids outside, whatever. And then, you know, about 930, the laptop comes out and get caught up on all the stuff that I couldn't do while I was out in the field. So that is, you know, that is definitely a challenge. And I think that challenge is overcome, though, when you delegate. And that's a hard thing to do, especially for a business owner, because his name's on the business. Mm -hmm. It's his reputation or her reputation, whatever. Um. And that is hard. And it's also hard to find people that can um, take on the responsibility in the way that you feel like is necessary and with the kind of qualities and characteristics you want to have. So to me, um, being able to delegate is is a real key in that balance. And being also being able to say no. Um, I mean, you'd be you'd be shocked at the number of clients that either text or call me. Between the hours of not even five, let's say six and eleven p.m., <laughs> I am wow. not kidding. Man. I'll get text at ten o'clock, ten thirty, eleven o'clock. Not not like there's an emergency, but just they Questions. had they had a question or they had a thought because they're they working wanted, all day. They come home and they're like, "What is this thing? What is that thing? Yeah, yeah. there's dust on my fork. Yeah, or something they want to make sure <laughs> I'm aware of for the next day." And I don't, I don't answer those texts. I don't respond to them. I may respond to an email because I feel like that's mm-hmm. more, more professional. I don't know. But um, just being able to say no and have some boundaries, I think, is, 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 is important. You have to do that, especially if you have a family. And that ties back, though, to the playbook and the expectations. So if mm-hmm. you text me at 9.45 on Tuesday. Don't expect to get a text back, you know. If I'm not hanging out with the wife and the kids on the couch with a movie, then you might get a text back. But that does not, you know, when you text me, that doesn't guarantee that you'll get a response back. So if you both know that going into it, at least when they text you, they can go, okay, I'm going to send it now because it's on my mind and I'm home from work and Mm -hmm. I can't see it at work. So I'll expect a response, you know, in the next 24 hours, but not necessarily right then and there. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would do that. Expectations. You would. I don't really. Yep. I feel. I feel like that'd be really weird to to text the person at that late at night. No, because from their perspective, you're at work all day, working hard all day, and you come home, and it's your home, and then it's a project after it's a home. So everything is kind of geared toward that perspective. But I see what you're saying. I wouldn't text like if someone was working on my house. Yeah. And it was 10 o'clock, and I was like, oh, I wonder if they're going to fix that hole over there tomorrow. <laughs> I, I would shoot them an email before I would send them a text. I don't know. I just feel like a text is too pers- it's like well, personal. Too personal. Yeah. Well, I, no, I guess I'd, yeah, well, I agree is with that. Is that what you meant? It, yes, I think it, it is very personal, especially if I'm paying somebody. 
But if I saw a hole in my roof, I'd be like, okay, well, <laughs> well I'm, I'm sure. Text him now. No, 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 no. Send like, him a flare. Sheetrock, not like the main roof. But like, if I saw that, you I'd be like, well. why there was a hole there. No, but I would assume, like, well, they're going to fix it eventually. They wouldn't just leave a hole sitting it's in my ceiling. <laughs> so I, if it was sat there for a couple of days, and I'd probably send a text or call. But it's like, I probably wouldn't bother me. So what would you do, Paul? If, if I saw if, a hole in my ceiling? No, I'm saying if you were trying to get get a hold of your contractor, you so said you wouldn't text. I'd give so, it a day. If I didn't see him the next day or the day after, then I would probably call or text. But I wouldn't just assume, oh, wait, I come home and my house is being remodeled, but there's a hole in my ceiling. But I if, send me if, text. what I'm asking is if you needed to get in touch with him, you would you you would first email. Oh, I'd call. If Depending on if it was call. an emergency, I would call. If I had water spewing yeah. out the wall or if I had my house catch on fire, the electricity shortened out, then yeah, I would call. But... Other than that, an email will do the job just fine. Some of it is just education because oh, yeah. you wear a lot of hats. One of them is uh, a teacher, a professor, but a lot of it is if someone, no one, like a, a homeowner doesn't necessarily know what's behind the sheetrock oftentimes. Mm-hmm. And so when you peel back the layers of a house, you expose those things and they're like, I just thought a house was a house. I'm just looking at what I think a house is, and that's just what they see, which is the paint and the sheetrock. So you have to kick into, hey, look, here's why we we did what we did, and here's why there's a, a hole in your ceiling, because eventually <laughs> it'll be filled, but there's a process to it. So a lot of it is just putting on that, let me teach you how this goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're usually happy about it, for the most part. Well, I don't know much what you said about education. There's some people who work on our team who don't know what a screwdriver is or a Phillips head you know, or a flathead. But they it's ask like, you to take a light down. And, and like, they've well, never used you, a drill in their life. It. And I, I mean, I'm not judging them for that. That's just how they were raised. But not everybody thinks the same way you do. So going into a job, I think you have to handle it the same way. Okay. Educate them about what it is and don't expect them to know what's behind the sheetrock. But then again, I mean, you shouldn't freak out when you see a hole in the wall. And there's there's still time left in the deadline. If the deadline's up, then yeah, freak out. (laughs) So, anyways, Michael, going back to you, how do you balance life with your wife and with Southern Squared Homes? So I'll say first off, love you, babe. Um, (laughs) Uh oh. Live audience. Um, No, she knows this. So I don't necessarily think. I think the lines between work life and. you know, personal life, I don't necessarily think they should be too explicit. I really think they should be pretty blurred. Um, because we all we only get to go around the sun once in life. Uh, we only got one life to live. So what you do should be meaningful. Um, and I was hanging out with a buddy this past or last week. He's with Deloitte. Shout out to Ben. But he said, what the work you do should energize you. And if you're doing work that doesn't necessarily energize you, you should, you know, Think about, are you doing the right kind of work? Hmm. Um, so I, I like to think that, you know, yes, life is primarily about relationships. Shout out, shout out to dad. Um, and so that should be the focus of, you know, any business, where, whether it's a service or a product. But, um, you know, it should be meaningful. And, and something that's meaningful usually takes up a lot of time in your, in your life. And when, you're in, when you enter into a relationship uh, and a marriage, that should kind of be known up front. Um, going back to a playbook, you can have a marriage playbook. And that should be one of the things that's talked about. And you, you should get as detailed as who takes out the trash on a regular basis. Um, oh, it's always the woman. Who does what? 
Uh, <laughs> I'd be single for a little while longer. <laughs> but those types of so yeah, I think the lines between work life and um you know personal life should be pretty blurred. But uh to what you said, Matt, it's okay to say no to something that's work uh related because you don't want to you don't want to practice what you preach only in business. You have to start it with your your family. And if relationships is your number one goal, then it starts with your wife and then your kids and then um, your employees and then your clients last. Um, but yeah, I think the lines are, are pretty blurred. Um, but, you know, I go into it, you know, I, I, I tell my, tell Taylor, like my wife, Taylor, um, this is what I enjoy. And so if that means at 1130, I'm doing it on the laptop, trying to figure out a deal and make something happen. She's, she's okay with that knowing that's how I view it. Um, but I don't view it at the sacrifice of, of our relationship. So, um, if there's something, um, we need to do together or, you know, her love tank is feeling a little bit low, that's priority for me. Um, so anything meaningful, like your work is, I think I think the lines should be blurred. What you what you work on should be meaningful. So you're saying that if you worked, uh, let's say, a forty hour a week job, and you didn't necessarily like it or enjoy it, and she knew that, but yet you were still putting in the hours on a Saturday and kind of complaining about it, that would affect her more for you doing that than it would if you were doing something that you thoroughly enjoy and she knowing that you enjoy it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, because there's. Uh, if you're doing something and the other person uh, that you live, live life with knows why you're doing it and what it means to you, um, it changes how they they respond to you. Um, but you have to tell them like, hey, this is bigger than just a, uh, an email to a customer. Like this is um, part of my life's work and what I find meaningful. I think that sets a uh, different expectation. Very interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Um, we'll go a couple more questions, then I kind of have one that I want to ask. Um, but the next one is going to be, what are your responsibilities as a business owner, and what are your expectations of your employees? Either one of y'all can go first. You can fight it out. Well, um, so in my company, I employ nine people. Um. So I'm responsible for making sure 10 people get paid every two weeks. It's <laughs> a lot of no pressure. pressure. Of course not. Yeah, no pressure. Um, you know, sometimes it's easy to just kind of get get blinders on and, you know, you got to close the next deal and get the next uh, invoice out and, and, you know, the next schedule and the next decision and figure out the next problem. But when I, when I pull my head out of the sand for a few minutes, I, I really believe that my responsibility is to run a company that gives homeowners the best experience that I can when it comes to remodeling or building their home. And as a business owner, that, I mean, that's going to look different every day. It, it's going to be making decisions for the growth of the company, for the future, for my guys and their career path, uh, training, improving what we're doing, um, you know, getting getting good clients, better clients, better projects, 
um, figuring out, you know, where there's waste and how we can, you know, improve the, the bottom dollar. So I think to me, that's kind of what I get excited about. Um, now, you know, when I wake up and I go to work each day, you know, <laughs> my responsibilities might be, uh, to go pick up stuff at Home Depot, uh, to go haul a trailer or, you know, to meet one of my PMs on a site because he has a question or a problem. Um, it might mean, you know, going out and knocking out 10 punch items so I can get the last check and make a, a raving client. So, you know, th- those are the kind of literal responsibilities. But I guess the exciting part to me is that that goal. I mean, what what's what's out there? You know, the there is no limit. Um, you know, if if your principles are sound and you you've got the skill and you know what you're doing, there's just it's it's exciting. There's there's nothing that you can't do. So, I mean, the responsibilities that I have right now, um, you know, primarily need to be doing sales, estimating, um, and and running the company, making sure that my guys in the field have everything they need. Because if something gets missed or they don't have a decision or they don't have a scope or something on the plans, then that's where things start falling apart. Mm-hmm. So to me, that is that is kind of my responsibility um, is to make them successful because I know that I'll have happy clients after that. So what do you wake up thinking every day at the start of a work day other than – I mean, other than what you have to do for that day, but what drives you to continue doing that every day for the past 14 years? I got four kids. No, no, no. I'm I'm <laughs> um, wow. Um, we can come back if you need some time. To no, it's, it, it's interesting because I, I'm in a phase of business where we're, we're, we've been on the cusp of, me pulling away from the day-to-day stuff, not, you know, not going and doing the punch items that I said earlier, and um, not, you know, driving around with a trailer or whatever. So I'm, I'm on the cusp of kind of turning that corner where, you know, I can get up and I can focus on, you know, closing a $1.4 million new build I want to do. Big picture stuff. Um, so I, I get, I get really excited about that. There are days when you wake up and it's just like, okay, I, I've got to do this today, and that's the next thing. And you know, a lot of life is that way sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at the at the bottom of it, there's a goal and there's a bigger desire to get to the next step. Um, and that's tough sometimes. It's easy to get bogged down, I think, in the little things. So, All right. very good. Michael, what was the question? <laughs> um, hit, me hit, hit me again. Dang it, I, got, I lost my track. What question were we on? Sorry, guys. Responsibilities? Yes, thank oh, you. Sorry. What are your responsibilities as a business owner? Yeah. Big question. I think it changes depending on the season of the, uh, you know, where your company is and, and its season. Because in the earlier stages, you do everything. You sell, you market, you close, you you do the books, you do the accounting, you do everything. Um, so a lot of, I, I guess the re, the first responsibility is is just self awareness um, about yourself and and what season your company is in. 
Um, otherwise, it's super hard to know kind of how to manage um, because there's an evolution to a company, and you, you kind of have to shift up your, your management style according to where the company is in that, in that evolution. Um, you know, the responsibility as a you know as a business owner, it's not necessarily in my in my personal view, it's not your customer. It's, it's your employees first, and then your customer. Because if you focus <laughs> on your employees. They will focus on your customer. Um, it's super hard for an employee to be nice to a customer when they're pissed off at you as a boss. I get that. Um, so you have to focus on your employees first. But I really think it's you have to put on your coach hat. Um, and so that that means a lot of different things. It means you know a motivational person. It means a, a teacher. Um, and someone who knows, you know, here are the guidelines, here are the rules, you have to stick within them. Um, so I think, you know, first it's self-awareness and then, you know, put on that teacher hat and that coach hat uh, and focus on your employees. And if you can make them feel, if you can develop them and make them feel the value um, and the meaning of the work that they're doing, I think that'll accomplish a lot of the other stuff that we tend to worry about. Um, I would focus on those on those things, though. No, I agree. It's, it's, it's if you treat your employees well, then they'll have respect for you, and they'll treat you well, and they'll they'll actually enjoy doing the work for you, and want to go out of the way to help out the company as well as you. And they'll be vulnerable in that if there's something they're not sure about, they'll go to you mm-hmm. and ask for guidance because they feel comfortable doing that, right? And if they feel like their position is you know, in jeopardy or if they're supposed to perform a certain way, they might just say, well, I can't go to the boss and ask this question because I'm supposed to, I'm expected and, and supposed to perform a certain way. And yes, that's true. Um, but they should feel comfortable with bringing things to you because, you know, if you have employees that don't ask you questions, there's a problem. I guess. That, yeah. Cause then they're afraid. Yeah. Because if you surround yourself with people that, that have, you know, that, that don't ask questions, then, you know, well, if you surround, I, I forget how the phrase goes, but um, oh, shoot, what is it? Andy Stanley said it. Um, I'll have to think of it. Get get back to the go to go go to another question, and I'll I'll think of it. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll end off on that one. Um, all right, so oh, the same question that I asked. Oh, hang on, wait. If you don't listen to the people around you, eventually you'll be surrounded by people that have nothing to say. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Listen to the people around you. They're on the front lines. They know what's happening. Um, and give them the opportunity to be vulnerable with you. And that means you have to schedule on your calendar regular check-ins. Follow-ups. Yeah. So what drives you every day? What do you wake up thinking? What is your motivation? I'm asking you that. I was already oh, asked him that. Um, I guess, weirdly enough, as it sounds, like my... Um, I think one thing to to be aware of is like you only have one chance to go around the sun, one life to live. Um, And that means you, every day that goes past, you have one less day to try the stuff you were always curious about. Um, So that's, that's a big motivation. Okay. So like the great philosopher, Keith Urban said, Days go by. Days go by. I like, I like, I like me some Keith. <laughs> we can start singing it. 
So, Seth is going to give us a solo. Seth, you want to start us off on that solo? We'll save it for we'll a We'll have bit Keith later. on. Keith is coming on soon. Keith, if you're out there, we'd love to have you. <laughs> uh, the next question, I guess, is more so my question for y'all. And I don't know if it's just an entrepreneur thing or if this is just something that y'all do. Um, but I've noticed it in me. I've noticed it in Michael and Matt. And I've noticed it in you a little bit. Is when someone asks you about the business or how the business is doing, you kind of give a short answer. Like, oh, it's going great. Out of curiosity, I want to know why it is that you do that because I know why I do it. And it's kind of a, it's a self, not necessarily selfish, but it's kind of a, a weakness that I'm working on because I feel like when people ask me that question, I have nothing new to share them. I know they're not asking it out of them, you know, making fun of me or, or you know, that kind of thing. I know they're generally interested. But for me, I give a short answer because I have nothing new to share. So it makes me feel like I didn't proceed in that business enough to share anything new. So when people ask you how the business is going and you give a short answer, why is that? Either one. I mean, y'all can think about that for a second. I know that's kind of an interesting question. But out of curiosity for me, I've always wanted to know. Hmm. Well, and I don't know if there really is a reason for it. I think when someone says, you know, how's business? It's like, well, you know, we're not out of business, so it's going good. <laughs> so it's not necessarily... No, I don't mean that entirely, but I mean... It's more so the question that's asked. There's a than, lot that goes into that question. How's business, right? I mean, it's good. It's, you know, I hate it. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's stressful. It's fun. Uh, you know, uh, one of my guys left today. Um truck broke down we closed a big job so it's just there's like yeah. tons that's a very broad question how's business and so sometimes it's just easier to say it's good we're busy <laughs> okay interesting michael but a lot of people don't i mean they don't want to know at least i feel like they don't they don't want to know all that stuff yeah. i just said yeah do so, you yeah, I, I think sometimes I do. Yeah, but the it's, good and the bad, the ugly. Give I guess the details. That, well, are, like, are you ahead. talking about family? Like, it, like it's different yeah, when we, family are we asks. At, fam- are the, at a barbecue or a church? Driver, or is it no, people? like yeah, if, if, like me as a brother. And see, I, I think that's what Paul's talking about. Yeah, if Paul's asked friends and family, like I generally, I'm, I'm just curious. Is it is it because I asked the very broad question? So if I narrowed it down to like, well, you know, what did you do today, or how did your day go today? Would you be able to? Did you make? Yeah. How much did the company make this year? Would it, would it be better if the questions were more detailed? Because when I, if I ask, I mean, I generally care, but I understand why you would give a short answer because it's a very broad question. I've I've done it before. Yeah, probably something more specific, like you know, yeah. Um, how are your jobs going? Uh, how's the team? Mm. Um, buying new equipment lately. Yeah. Um, yeah, stuff like that. Is are it? You, are you losing money? I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next question. Are you losing money? Is it challenging to talk about your failures or lessons that you had to learn the hard way? No. Okay. Yes. the reason is my ego gets in the way my ego never says Tate tell the stuff tell about tell the stories about the the stuff that you sucked at because that's what it feels like now it's the difference Uh between what you feel and what actually is because generally people are pretty empathetic 
as long as they feel that you're being honest, I think people are pretty empathetic. But um, my ego gets in the way of the questions of, what did you fail at? <laughs> <laughs> so instead of next time, next time we're at a family barbecue, instead of asking how the business is going, I ask what you failed at. Yeah, that's a good question, actually. Because if you're good with failure, that means you're experimenting with many things. And this is not really failure. It's just you're learning. It's called learning. Yeah. Yeah. So if that's the case, if that's how you look at failure, my my question is, I wonder why it's sometimes hard to talk about it. Because it's just a lesson learned. And it's one step closer to you achieving your goal. To me. So I wonder why why is it so hard sometimes? And I'm talking about myself too, to to it is kind of challenging to talk about it sometimes, especially around family. I think because we're embarrassed. Yeah, I think that's a lot to do with it. What do you mean? What do you mean? As in like because of I the, mean, there's the, the like, competition. There's a, there's a guy's just general embarrassment about, yeah, I kind of screwed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I think I think the Johnsons have a special embarrassment gene somewhere. <laughs> I, no, I don't no, mean that. I, I don't mean that in I a agree. Way. I just so should we talk about failures? <laughs> no, this, this is when it starts to get interesting. I, like I, I don't, don't like walking in drink. church and the at the front door, like where the stage is. You know, if you had to walk yeah. in, yeah. Oh, I'd never do that. No, I mean, I'd walk like, in the back. I'd wait till the service is over if that was the only <laughs> right. door. Right. Yeah. No, I've I've always wondered that. Very interesting. I've no, I was, I'm curious too, and I, and I think I don't know if it's the fact because we're all very competitive. Even though not like physically, but well, well, you know, some of us may have that issue. I try to go to the gym every now and then. <laughs> but I think we're very we're a very competitive family, and I think sometimes it's hard to talk about failures because you you don't know what the next person is doing. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's just that's just how we are. We are a very competitive family. I think so. If you're making a million dollars one year, I'm definitely going to try to make a million dollars the next year. The thing that I've learned is. It's not a family thing. It's a human thing. Unfortunately, failures feel worse than success feels good. So if you're doing a stock trade, I know Mm. you and I mess around with some stocks. Mm. You can make, let's just say, $1,000 on a given trade, and that feels pretty good. But when you lose $1,000, that feels twice as bad as the $1,000 net gain felt. So the bad stuff feels worse than the good stuff is good. Unfortunately, that's just how human nature plays out. And so I think that's one of the the first reasons why it's hard to talk about failures because, um, you know, it feels twice as bad as the success feels good sometimes, at least for me, I'm not going to speak about other people, but uh, that's how it feels. One step forward, two steps back. So do you think there's a solution to that? Michael? Yeah. So, you know, I think you have to be a good storyteller and that doesn't come naturally for a lot of people. Um, and that's okay. But if someone asked me how things were doing and I've been told I was bad at this, I would just say, that's oh, pretty good. Mm-hmm. That's not a very interesting answer. Um, but it's hard to talk about yourself because you, for me, I feel like the person is not interested. It's like, why am I going to waste their time telling me, telling them about my day and what I did and what I didn't do? And why go into detail? Because I wouldn't want to hear that or be saying that, but I'm, I'm assuming that they're at, they're asking in the wrong way. Because they feel obligated to. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like the social thing to do. How are you doing? It's oh, the, good. How are you doing? It's shallow doing? conversation. Let's just go to the next floor in the elevator and call it. That's down. why if you ask the question, what did you fail at today? You, you get rid of the shallow crap and go straight for the deep stuff. And I think that's well, probably good. You ask a different question. Like, what are you most excited about this week? Yeah. That's something a little bit more specific than how are you doing? Yeah. Because everybody will say, no one feels comfortable saying, oh, this week sucked. And this is the worst week in the history of weeks that I've ever had. Uh, no one will probably be that vulnerable with you. But I think it's good. The challenge for me is it's easy when you feel like something bad is going on in life. It's easy to get caught up in the fact that you feel like you're the only one that's going through that experience. And so you feel like you're on an island all by yourself. And that's a trick. Um, when in reality, nine out of 10 says most everybody that you come across probably has been where you are and you can relate to them, but you just have to tell them. So you have to be mm-hmm. a storyteller and be vulnerable with people. Um, because weirdly enough, if you just tell people your story and you try to become a better storyteller, they might actually be able or be in the position to help you, um, whether it's personally or professionally in a way that you never expected. And like you said, Matt, when that customer, that client that said, Hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get my lawyers involved. They turned out to be something that you did not expect. Mm -hmm. A lot of that could happen if you're just vulnerable with people and tell them honestly, you know, what's going on in life. Um, that could lead to something interesting. And you've got nothing to lose, really, because 9 out of 10 says they've been where you are, just maybe in a different way. You just have to be vulnerable enough to tell your story. Well, see, that, that reminds me, I was at a gathering one time. And I, this is, I remember, we were just doing shallow, small talk, but then a friend of mine came up and said, what's the most exciting thing that happened to you today? That was the first question he asked me. And I still remember that to this day because that was different from everybody else's question. Mm-hmm. And it took me a minute to actually... Process it. Process it because I was like, well, well, what was the exciting thing in my day today? Because I'm just sitting there going, oh, it was good, you know, that kind of thing. But it took me yeah. a while to think of it. And that, that was a really good first question, I think, and the to other, break that ice. Yeah. And you were there at Citizen Supply, the bartender, Andrew. Yeah. We were there and we had no idea at the time, but this is the second time we've, that we've been there and we've interacted with him. But lo and behold, the, one of the people that we were with actually knew some of the other people that he went to high school with. Yeah. And it led to an introduction um, to someone in the space that he wanted to be in professionally. Yeah. And if we did not, like if he didn't share that, if he didn't just tell a story about a detail that he probably would have otherwise said, well, nobody cares about this but me. Mm-hmm. Um, we would have never had that. So we were in the position, to, well, not necessarily me directly, but like the friends that we were with were in a position to actually connect know, them. them out. Yeah, connect them with other people. Very interesting. And most of the time, I think if you're vulnerable with people, they sense that and they respect the fact that you're vulnerable and they might say, hey, look, I'm, let me help you out a little bit. Yeah. Or at least encourage you and let you know you're not the only one I went through this. So tell a better story. Be comfortable with telling a story, communicating that. Add it to the playbook. If you don't think it's good, make it up a little bit. You know, throw some fluff in Embellish it. Yeah, embellish it. (laughs) How was your week? Unbelievable. Was it bad? It was the worst week ever. I had the best apple. But say it's unbelievable. How much much time do we have left? I don't know. I feel like Seth is about to tell us. David, how much time do we have left? (laughs) We got about five, ten more minutes. Okay. Um, Well, I guess we'll move on to the last question and then we can... 
jabber if we need to fill in a little bit of time. Um, but if you had one piece of advice to give to someone starting out, starting a business, buying a business, what would be that advice? What would your guidance be? Words of wisdom. Um, I think for me, it would be, um, you know, answer the question, is this something you, you, you love? Mm-hmm. Is it something you enjoy? That, that brings you joy, that, you know, gives you life? Um, and then I think after that, it would be developing a plan. I mean, if you if you're just starting out, you know, from ground zero, you got to have a plan. How are we going to produce something or build something or you know bring a service to a client? How are we going to get clients? I mean, just the literal stuff, right? Um, and there's something I wish I had learned. Or just I don't know had more of a of a mindset early on is um, figuring out what what do I love what what part of the business do I love and do I feel like I'm the best at and then start delegating stuff all the other stuff because mm-hmm. you know starting a business is is fun it's like man this is big idea. I want to start this business. I want to get into this field or that field or whatever. But there's always that stuff that comes with a business, you know, the taxes, the payroll, the, the HR, the, you know, the problems, the warranty, you know, the whatever. And it's easy just to take it all on. Okay. All right. Yeah, well, I'll do it. But I wish I had, I had learned early on much earlier than I, I have is just delegate, start delegating. Oh, I, I hate estimating. Okay, I'm going to hire an estimator. Hmm. Um, so that I think that would be my advice. And then after that, I mean, it would be get some people around you that know a lot more than you do and start getting their advice. Michael? I would agree. Um, I would say it's, you know, Look across your life and figure out what, you know, what type of professional thing or what type of work uh, gives you energy. And then maybe it's, that's a good spot to focus on. Uh, for me personally, it was uh, uh, difficult to try to figure out, like, what is your passion necessarily? But, like, what do you do on a day-to-day basis that you would probably keep doing um, because it gives you just energy? Um, and I think you're right in the sense that don't be fooled by the fact that, well, for me, it was, if you love what you do, you shouldn't have a single day where you hate it. <laughs> that's like the biggest, <laughs> like, no, that's not true because everybody loves, well, uh, it's pretty good to be a U.S. citizen, but nobody, I've never met anybody that's like, I love paying taxes. Um, <laughs> so there's always part about any business or whatever you do. That just quite frankly sucks. Um, and there are some days that you'll come across where everything seems to suck. And that's okay. Um, you know, you have to understand that going into it. But I would say, you know, focus on something that, that gives you energy on a continual basis and um, try to, f- as a personal goal, learn something new about the business that you're in or the industry that you're in. Um, you know, each week, um, because that'll, 
make sure you're competitive enough and um, innovative enough to stay relevant as the world changes. Because if you don't do it, somebody else will. That is true. So can't miss that opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> okay. My mic. For those who Art. don't know, the mic just came out of the stand and now we're having Thank a you there, Seth. All right. You know, I got one other question that I was curious about. Matt Michael, what what both energizes y'all? What is it that, that just energizes you, gets you going? Money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the narrows. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um <clears throat> So sometimes I think about that on a Saturday, mm-hmm. all right? Yeah. What do I love to do on a Saturday, right? I mean, if I didn't have anything else to do, what would I do? Mm-hmm. Well, I think I would I would probably build something, Yeah. Mm-hmm. like my long list of stuff that needs to be done at my house. Mm-hmm. I love creating something. And at mm-hmm. the end of the day, I step back and I say, wow, I made that. Yeah. I take a picture and show everybody, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Instagram. Hashtag. <laughs> That's right. DIY. So, I mean, that's kind of why I got into business. And there are days now when, you know, I put on the tool belt and I do something because I, I want to. Yeah. Um, okay. So that I think for me, that's uh, that's a big part of it. The other thing I get a lot of thrill in mm-hmm. <laughs> is sitting in the office or in the truck and knowing that everything else is going well. My guys are happy. They have what they need. My customers are happy. It's like a well-oiled machine. And when I know everything works, I mean, to me, that's, as a business owner, that's success. I I mean, there's different areas, but to me, that is success. And that's what I get thrills by is just, Wow, everything's in place. Mm-hmm. Everything is spinning. The machine is working. It's oiled. Okay, life is good. And that's yeah. what at the end of, at the end of the day, I really think that's what we should be focused on is how do you the systems and processes that are created. So think of it as a funnel, right? Mm-hmm. Where you pour a bunch of stuff into it, and out of it comes a direct flow. That's what your your responsibility is, so that you can take other deals put them into your process and out of it comes a result, which is, you know, we're making money and, you know, everybody's happy. I think, I think that's, that's, you know, that's what you should focus on. Do we have time for one more? I got another question. We have time for many more. Yeah. Okay. All right. I was going to ask this earlier, but I kind of forgot. What are y'all's spiritual gifts? What are you good at? I know you said you like to create and you like to build. And you said there are some parts of the job you really enjoy, some parts you don't really enjoy. The things that you enjoy, are those aligned with your spiritual gifts? Or are they... um, that's, a that's, that's a tough one. I, I think we have a lot of gifts, things that mm-hmm. we're good at. It's, it's always been hard for me to just say, wow, what, you know, what, what gets you going or what do you, uh, what brings you the most joy? Well, that's kind of what I mean is like the, going back to what you said about what you're good at. Right. Right. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to throw you off. I mean, years ago I thought kind of my, my motivational gift was kind of mercy. Um, but as I've 
gotten a little older and have kids and family and business and a lot of responsibilities. Sometimes I just like telling people how it is and here's what you need to do. Get over it. Um, and this is your responsibility, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know quite how to answer that question or maybe I'm not living up to what I thought it was years ago. Um, one thing I do know is I, I like helping people. I've had the opportunity over the past five years, I guess, <clears throat> to do work trips. So mm-hmm. ministry type trips where we're helping a family, a missionary, a camp, uh, whatever. And I love going on those trips. Now, yeah, it's stressful leaving work and I, you know, my phone's blowing up or, you know, whatever. <clears throat> but I have the best time joking around with the guys on the trip. We're building stuff. We're helping people. And I've thought about, excuse me, got a frog in my throat. I've thought about how neat that would be to incorporate in my business, like a community type day or, you know, home or something. Um, So, I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's partly an answer to your your question. It is. I don't, I don't think I, I phrased it correctly. I, I think what I meant to say is, what are you good at? What do you get a thrill out of doing in, in your day-to-day job? Michael, the same question to you. What do I get a thrill out of? Yeah, what, do you, what are you good at? In your eyes, oh. what are you good at and you just you kill it at that? Everything. I mean, it's pretty <laughs> much everything. <laughs> there's too many people. No, there's too many things I'm bad at. Probably, um, we'll we'll end it after you get done. Yeah, we can keep going. I think there's probably a lot of content we could fill with. Oh, I could keep going for a while, but you know, um, Seth just poured me some scotch, so that'll be good <laughs> for another twenty minutes. Um, what am I good at? Um, well, the question was about spiritual gifts, right? Yeah, you know, as the. Uh, there's a lot of self-awareness that needs to go into play before you, you know, well, really that, that you need to do before you do anything in life. I would ask you the question or Seth or David or Matt or whomever, what do you think my gifts would be? Because oftentimes we look in the mirror and like mm-hmm. probably go eh, pretty handsome, but yeah. somebody else may look at you and go, well, you know, <laughs> you've got some like weird hair out of alignment there and there's something in your teeth that we might, might not see. So I would probably say, what do you think the spiritual gift is? Go. Oh, thought this interview, this interview, interview, this interview turned now. the wrong way. <laughs> the turntables have turned. <laughs> Michael Scott. No, I think you're you're pretty good sometimes at let's make it interesting. Communicating with people, both of us. communicating with people, getting your point across, trying to get somebody, I guess, to view something your way. You know what I mean? Sometimes we'll talk. You know, at the coffee shop, and I'll be viewing it this way. Then you'll. Different perspective. Yeah. You'll explain how you've been viewing it, and then I'll start to see it that way. So you're good, like I said, I, I guess, making other people view it from your standpoint. Oh, it's my oh. turn now. Yeah. Uh, you're good at delegating. Um, you're good at leading. You don't necessarily tell people what to do. You show them what to do. Okay. I think that goes a long way. You know how things go. Um, you're a good listener. And, uh, and you're good with people. You can interact I with them. I feel awkward with people. 
<laughs> well, this is completely opposite of what he thinks so, he's good at. Why do you feel um, awkward with people? Because I feel like I have nothing interesting to say. <laughs> well, you don't most of the time, but you know, that's a whole nother that's podcast okay. I mean, right there. A whole nother podcast. <laughs> I need the brutal honesty. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Something just kidding. out of nothing. There is no such thing as nothing. You got to turn that fluff into something. Oh, no one would know about it. But why do you think you don't have anything interesting to say? I think it's because we are our own worst enemy. And it's natural for people to put yeah. themselves on an island and think no one else has these problems but me. Um, therefore, I'm not going to talk about them. <laughs> because it's just, quite frankly, too weird and awkward. But in reality, I feel the same way. every... of everybody probably has the same things or have gone through this, a similar thing close enough that they can relate to you about it, but it doesn't feel that way. Um, And we have, you know, it's just difficult to balance like logic versus feeling sometimes when we make decisions as to whether we say something or not say something or whether we do something or not do something. I get that. So we're going to, I mean, if we're going to keep going around. Okay. So Matt, for what I, I think of you and your gifts, I'm pretty much the same as Michael's for the most part. You're good with winning people. is winning. <laughs> I thought I was a little little step above Michael, but yeah. in in most of those areas, there's it's a it's a notch it's on above. now. But you're good at people. You're good at leading. Because I mean, you lead a team of eight people, and you also have a family that you're having to be responsible for. Um, I've learned a lot from you. You've always taught us different things. You always you never really said no whenever we came to helping us with something. Or showing us how to do something. And that goes back to what you said about how you enjoy helping people and you get a thrill out of that. I think that's true. And I think that is definitely one of your gifts, if not one of the biggest gifts. From my point of view. We're all getting tissues. It's emotional. It's emotional. I can't can't speak yet. (laughs) Thank you, Paul. Well, I'm, I'm done with the questions. That's most of it. So it's... We can end it here if we want to, or we can keep going. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, um, thank you all for coming on. A lot of words of wisdom. Everyone's out there just our business. I want my goal for for us, family, friends, I want us to get start getting more out of our comfort zone with each other and just talk more. Because and be that support system that we all need. We all have different talents and gifts. We all think differently. And I think that we can, you know, sometimes it's okay to, hey, yeah, you know, I had this idea or I tried this thing. It didn't quite work. But you know what? I learned from it. I'm going to, you know, move forward and try something else. You know, I mean, whatever it may be. Because I'm trying to, you know, I want to get out of my comfort zone with my family. And I want to be honest and open because I feel like that's that's what it's all about. God gave us our family for a reason. So that's what I would just encourage and and want out of out of all of this. I agree. Yeah, I mean, we all have we all have things we can learn from with each other. And I I look up to both of y'all and the leadership that y'all have that y'all show uh, with. Moving forward with buying a company, starting companies, and not being afraid of that. Mm-hmm. That encourages encourages me to want to push forward with my goals, my dreams, my ideas that I have. And to find that passion, to find that 
that whatever it is that energizes me that I want to do every single day. It does. It, it really, it really does make me want to move forward with that. So yeah, thank you all for coming on, for sharing. Sure. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Don't forget Artisans of Atlanta, Matt Johnson, Southern Squared Home, Seven Seven Zero Eight Four Six Nine One Six Three. Hit me up. Just find us on the website or social media. So we'll put the link in bio and all that. Their contact info. We don't answer our phone anymore. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Who does that? No calls after nine (laughs) o'clock. Right. Yeah. Be mindful. I'll chat with you. (laughs) But yeah, they're both excellent companies. Um, Again, thank y'all. Thank you for your knowledge, your wisdom that you shared with us all. And yeah, on that note, we will see y'all next time. Thanks again for listening to the Living Life Podcast. 